0: All right, everybody, I'd like to invite you back to your seat. We begin this morning's Bible study. Come on back. Get settled in. i give you a few moments. Welcome once again. And um, I want to let you guys know that uh, speaking of of the Bible College, Calvary Chapel Bible College, a trip, we, we try to take a trip down there at least once a year. I always look for an excuse to go down there because I, I love it. And... Um, we, um, we actually have a guest speaker who's familiar with Bible College down there. He's actually the vice president. He's a pastor on staff at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa and he'll be sharing with us this morning and I hope you guys appreciate him as much as I do. Uh, welcome Pastor Dave Shirley to the stage. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Adam, yeah. Amen. Well, it's such a joy to be here. I'm glad it's not O-Dark 30. (laughs) Uh, If you'd turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter four, uh, I'm looking forward to this message because it's the first time I've taught it. And uh, it, it, I believe, will minister to our hearts. And so let's open up in prayer. Father, thank you so much um, for the Opportunity to come out in this this free country, we can assemble. We're not worried about being put in jail or losing our jobs because we worship you, and that's a blessing. We'd like to keep those freedoms. Uh, Father, we look to you to keep the freedom of assembly, uh, the freedom of press, of religion, of speech. Lord, Please, set up one, put down another. Change the heart of leaders. Uh, use your people as they pray, Lord. We know that you hear where two or three agree as touching your will, and we know it's your will to have good government, and we're asking that we might continue that, Lord, so the gospel can go out. We do continue to pray for Ross and Jim in India. We thank you, Lord, for a fellowship that reaches out beyond itself uh, to go to this world that you love, that you died for, Lord. So increase our faith this morning as faith comes by hearing the word of God. Uh, Lord, I wanna go from faith to faith, from strength to strength, from glory to glory. So do a work in my heart and each and every one as we take a few moments and meditate together upon your word. Minister it to us by your spirit. We pray in Jesus name. Amen Amen. in Mark chapter 4 we'll begin in verse 35 Uh, Jesus has just told the parables and The purpose of the parables was to reveal to some those that would receive it and to conceal from others those who would obstinately refuse him. But in those parables, he was making it sure that we understand the human responsibility. We're to receive with meekness the engrafted word that is able to save our souls. And he told us very clearly that the seed that he would plant would grow. That it is assured beyond any shadow of a doubt that the seed is good and that the seed will grow. Basically, all you can do is put the seed into the ground and then you can sleep, you can rest. The harvest is sure when God is planting the seed. And he made that very clear. Matter of fact, in verse 13 here of chapter four, he said, do you not understand this parable? then how will you understand any of the parables? Because the whole principle behind the parabolic teaching and where he was going with it was to explain very clearly that he would build his church. Nothing will stand against it. It will come to fruition. And that's why in Colossians 1.6, he uses a very interesting word when he says that the gospel seed goes out and it bears fruit for itself. Carpapheruntis means, and they put it in the form of carpapherumenon, which is middle voice, which means that it will bear fruit for itself. And it will grow and develop for itself. It's the same principle we read in Romans 1.17, when it says that the gospel is the power of God to everyone that believes. There is inherent within the seed of the gospel this power of God to save. And so he's made that very, very clear. It is covenant sure. You can count on it. So after... Doing this lecture, and if you remember, it's been a it's been a pretty busy day for Jesus. <laughs> uh, when Jesus finishes a lecture, because he taught in the context of life, he didn't just teach you know between four walls. He would always test us in real life. So he's going to give them a test, and that's what we're reading here: a real live test. And he's designed it so that we can learn from it. So let's read it together, if you would. Verses 35 to 41, would you stand with me? And I'm reading from the New King Jimmy. (laughs) I don't know what you have, Uh, but it begins in verse 35. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Leaving the crowded multitude behind, they took him along in the boat just as he was. Other little boats were also with him. A great storm rose up and the waves were dashing into the boat so that the boat was already filling up. But he was in the stern on the headrest sleeping. And they were waking him up and saying to him, Master, don't you care that we're perishing? He rose up, rebuked the wind, said to the sea, Hush, be still. Then the wind fell, and there was a great deep calm. And he said to them, Why, or how is it that you're afraid? Have you still no faith? They were awestruck and were saying to each other, Who then is this? He commands, and even the wind and sea obey him. Amen. Please be seated. Now again, Jesus has just talked about a secretly advancing kingdom, that though it be mysterious in the way it would grow, whatever the setbacks might come your way, we can be assured that he will accomplish his will in it. And you can be assured since you're called according to the purpose of Him who works all things after the counsel of His own will. And He wants us to be sure. But Jesus operated on that principle of mastery learning. Now, I kind of have a love hate relationship with mastery learning. I love the fact that Jesus is so committed to me that He's going to help me learn the lesson. I just hate the fact that I have to keep learning the same lesson (laughs) again and again, you know, thinking I learned it the first time and I didn't, you know, so that's such as life. But let's go through it verse by verse, beginning in verse 35. On the same day, that is the day when he had been so exhausted, you remember, he'd started with healing Peter's mother-in-law and all day long people were crowding him. He'd even told the disciples they needed to keep a little boat you know, on the edge of the shore, in case people fell upon him and were going to trample him and crowd him because of the multitudes that he would teach from the boat. And that's what he did. And he was casting out demons. Uh, the word that's used there, too, of some of the people that were around is the word for like paralytic strokes. There were many that had paralytic strokes that came, and there were many that were demon possessed. And I don't know if you've ever dealt with those kinds of things, but just one person like that can wear you out, and he's doing it all day long. And now at the end of the day, he is no doubt very exhausted, and evening has come, and he says, let us cross over to the other side. He doesn't tell him why. It could be because he's exhausted, It could be because of the popularity and so many people gathering, he wanted to get away. We know back in chapter one, verse 38, he'd already said he needed to preach in some other cities. So all of those things together might have been the reason, but ultimately, I think it was because he was going to test them on the parabolic lecture he had just given to see where their faith is. Because the testing of our faith is more precious than a commodity like gold or uranium. The word precious relates to our concept of rare. When something is very rare, we consider it precious. And the testing of your faith is very precious. Remember in Luke, Jesus even asked the question, when I return, when the Son of Man comes again in the last days, will he find faith on the earth? And I hope that today, if he were to return to your heart or to my heart this day, will he find faith? The kind of faith that he expects to find. The faith of our father Abraham who had a fully convinced faith. Now maybe he didn't start out totally that way. Abraham went through some stages of growth in his faith. But before it was over, Romans four says that he had a fully convinced faith, that is a faith in resurrection. He believed that God could even raise the dead. That's how strong his faith was. So we wanna go from faith to faith. And we do that by meditating in the word of God. So I'm like you, I can say, Lord, I believe, but you can finish it. (laughs) Help my unbelief, that's a legitimate prayer. That's a legitimate cry from our hearts. Lord, you deserve the glory, the blessing, and the honor that we were singing about. And not only in the future, but you deserve it now, today as we walk by faith and we trust you. So it says in verse 36, now when they'd left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was and other little boats were also with him. Because Jesus was the theanthropos, he was fully God, but he was also fully man. And being fully man, he needed to get away from the crowd. But they, it, no matter where he went, whether he was walking on land, he would try to get away go up into a mountain they'd follow him every place he went now he's out on the sea and it says other little boats are following him. this is maybe this is the first gospel flotilla <laughs> you know there's an armada of faith there is this fleet of followers that are coming after Jesus if you can picture it on the sea of Galilee it just it doesn't matter even if he gets in a boat he can't quite get away from the crowds because they're coming to him because they know there's something different and unique about him. And he can do the things that only God can do. And so they take him into the boat, and it's interesting. It says they took him as he is. And I don't, I don't know what that means. It, some say it meant, well, he was just slap wore out. You know, he just he had no time to clean up, just like he's been teaching all day. Just We took him from the little dinghy and took him over to the larger ship, you know, and started across. But I do know this. If you're gonna take Jesus, you have to take him as he is. He takes you like you are. And if you take him like he is, then you know things are going to change. If you take Jesus into your boat, you can expect an experience that is rather transforming. If you take Jesus into your business, beware, you will see a transforming change. If you take Jesus into your heart, into the fellowship of your friends, into your family, any place you take Jesus, wherever you take him as he is, you can expect there'll be a tremendous transformation that will take place. Because that's what he does. He's the same. Yesterday, today, and forever, he doesn't change. But when we take him in as he is, he begins to change and transform us. And that is what is happening here, and it's just a beautiful thing to see. So verse 37 says, you know, as they get going across the sea, and a great mega windstorm arose, and the waves were beating into the boat so that it was already filling up. So this happens a lot on the Sea of Galilee. Some of you have been there. And when you have a sea that's 700 feet below sea level, and then right next to it within about 26 miles is a mountain that's 9,200 feet above sea level, that's like a difference of 10,000 feet. And so the cold air coming down from the mountain and the warm air rising up from the sea in those kind of subtropical you know climates there around the sea then it just creates these these whirlwinds that can take place Just like that now granted it probably wasn't like the tsunami that just hit the Philippines uh, That was a devastating and terrible tsunami. I just got back last month from there and uh, it was it was uh, the devastation is uh, more than you could think I mean, they, they're estimated maybe a 1,000 people were buried alive underneath the sand. I talked to one man there, and he had, he had been in it, it hit, and you can see where it came across. It hit the palm trees at about 25 feet high and just clipped them. But he said when it came in, it wasn't just the water, it was bringing the sand, lifting the sand up and bringing it like a wave, and people were being buried under the sand. His five-year-old daughter, he remembered, had on a yellow, you know, top, and he's looking around in the sand and he sees this little bit of yellow, sticking out of hand He just started digging, and he pulls his daughter out, ties her onto a coconut tree with clothes, because that's all he could find was some, you know, shirts, things like that. He ties her on, and then he started looking for his three-year-old boy, whom he never found, and they still haven't found to this day, and. Uh, but he saved his daughter's life, you know, by turning on. So, I mean, that's a storm. That's an amazing, or like Hurricane Andrew. I got to experience that, you know, but, uh, because I'm from North Carolina, in case you didn't catch that accent, (laughs) you know. uh, Might might need an interpreter for some of you. But uh, the, you know, the, but the storms on Galilee can get rather intense. And these guys, though they were veteran seamen, they're, they're looking at it going, oh my, this is, this, is, this is amazing. Matthew actually uses the word, when he tells this story, he uses the word seaquake, a whole other word, like an earthquake, only a seaquake, because it's, it's just moving things around. And so it was violent. But there's a prophecy in Psalm 4, verse 8, about Jesus Christ. And it says there that I will both lay down and sleep, because you alone, O oh Lord, make me lie down in safety. Well, that's our Lord. In the midst of this storm, because of whatever reasons, exhaustion, but also trust in his Father, he can lay down in the midst of this storm and just be sleeping. Now, who raised the storm up? That's, you know, there's arguments about that. Was it God? Was it Satan? Was it natural? Whatever. There was certainly something behind it, I believe Because Jesus has just taught on the fact that the kingdom of God will be established and nothing will stop it And now something comes and if this storm can kill Jesus and all the disciples that are with him, It's like the whole thing's gone, isn't it? So there was probably more behind this storm than even meets the eye just before he had this day he was in nazareth and you remember when he was in nazareth they tried to throw him off a cliff remember that and somehow he just worked his way through the crowd and just disappeared you know so already there has been a storm against his life and against the purpose of his life but it will not be successful i never will forget back in I went to Jesus 72 in just outside of Mercer, Pennsylvania. Anybody remember 72? Some of you weren't born there, but some of you were. And, you know, they were, it was one of the first Jesus festivals on the East Coast. We had a few on the East Coast, too. And they had uh, Larry Norman and Phil Keggy, and, you know, Randy Stonehill and Crimson Tide and some other East Coast people like Johnny Cash and the Imperials and Andre Crouch and. You know some of those guys but it was a big festival and we were there it's in a valley and uh, we're down in the valley and there's all these tents and the bands are set up and a tornado came and the tornado came right up to the edge of the top of the hill of the valley you could see it winding and coming in that direction and it came to the edge everybody just started praying and it just stopped on the edge and just spun It didn't go anywhere it just stopped and spun somebody controlling it and but it sucked like the tents it just sucked the air right out you could almost couldn't breathe because you were in a vacuum because we were down in the valley and it was up on the hill and just all the air was being sucked out but it just stood there and spun for a moment and then it just went and just went totally to the right in a whole nother direction and I know it was It was just something that was designed to come and destroy that whole thing. But as people began to cry out to God, it just turned and went away. And I never will forget that, but it's kind of the same thing here. But you need to know and I need to know that I'm just as safe in the storm as I am in the calm. Have you learned that lesson? Because if you haven't learned it, <laughs> you have to keep learning it. <laughs> you know. And it, the sooner you learn it, probably the less storms you may have to face. I don't know. Or maybe you get to go to a greater storm next time. But uh, the Lord wants us to learn that we're just as safe with him in the boat, in the storm, as we are in the calm. Do you really believe that? Yeah. Then that's important, isn't it? Well, he goes on and in verse... 38 he says but Even though the storms going on he's in the stern. He's asleep on a pillow, you know And they wake him and they said teacher. Do you not care that we're perishing? Well We know that one day in the court of the Lord is better than a thousand elsewhere But I get the impression one day of work with Jesus is like a thousand (laughs) days of work (laughs) Some of you've experienced that too because he's, he's just so exhausted that he can sleep through this horrible storm. I mean, that's like supernatural. How many of you have that supernatural sleep? My wife does. <laughs> I don't know if it's supernatural, it's natural, but my wife, can she can sleep, you know? And it's like, wow, how does she do that? I wish I could do that. You know, noises will happen, a little noise and I wake up, you know? And she, we have a men's Bible study. It's funny at our house since we moved to Costa Mesa. We have it early in the morning. And, you know, the men come in and they're just being men, you know, or, you know, we have it at six 15, they come in, they're loud and they're bringing stuff and we're talking about stuff and like, did we disturb you? Like, no, you know, she's back in the back sleeping and she just sleeps right through it. And I just wish, oh, that's gotta be a gift from God, <laughs> you know, and I wish I could do that but I I can't but anyway if you remember Jesus said foxes have holes right birds have nests but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head but then again he does (laughs) because in this little boat God has provided a place for him to lay his head down it's interesting in 1986 that in the mud in Migdal, just off the coast there of the Galilee, they found a fishing boat that's 26 and a half feet by seven and a half feet by four and a half feet, and the carbon dating has dated it between 140 or 120 BC and 40 AD, which would have been just at that time Jesus was living, and this is a standard fishing boat, and in it there is a raised section in the stern so that one person could actually lay in the stern and they have a little raised section of wood, like a wood block that's built into it. And normally what they do is put a leather pillow on it and so a guy could just take his rest there. And I thought, isn't that neat? How, you know, Mark has the mark of an eyewitness. He's he's telling this account as though he were there And it's so true. The Bible is very accurate. And if you just give it time, you'll find that those 25,000 archaeological sites that have been documented in the Bible are very, very correct in every way. My wife just returned uh, from Jordan. She went uh, with Veritas uh, Seminary. Uh, Joe had called and and, uh, said, hey, you want to go to on an archaeological dig for a month for four weeks. I can't go. How would you like to go take my place? And I was like, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. I'm not, like, I'm not for digging in the dirt for a month. Yeah, it's not my thing, sorry. You know? I said, but I know somebody that wants to go. He said, I said, my wife, she wants to go. And he was like, well, you know, they, they really wanted a pastor. I said, well, she's been pastoring me for 41 years, <laughs> you know? Like, so what do you expect, you know? And he said, well, let me talk to Dr. Collins and see if it'd be okay. So he called Dr. Collins and he said, yeah, she can come. So she got to go, it was on her bucket list to do. And so she got to go for a month and they, they did the dig at Sodom and Gomorrah. What's really neat is that, you know, he started looking in the Bible and finding out where it should be at. And it's not south of the Dead Sea, it's north of the Dead Sea. And you know, cause it was a watered plain across from Jericho, like the Bible said. And he actually, the amazing thing is they found the gates to the city, a city that the critics have said did not exist. But if you give the Bible time <laughs> and archaeologists time, because they do that little, f- 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 you know, that's why I could I could never do that. If you gave me a backhoe and said, you know, bucket by bucket, you could scoop it up, drop it out, and you catch what looks valuable on the way down, I might could do that. But I can't do that little brush things away. And, you know, that's, no, not for me. I don't have the patience for that. But she has great patience. And uh, most people that know that we're married say, yes, she does. (laughs) And uh, so, uh, but one of the things they found was they found uh, pottery and they found communications with the Minoans there. And uh, the Minoans... If you're not familiar with them, were the ones that traded in little boys for sex trade, and so it's very interesting that you would find in the dig at Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, evidences of pottery and trade from the Minoans because they were known for that. So it, again, documenting the story of the Bible. It's so true. But here are these guys. Jesus is sleeping in the sternum. And they're like, how can you be sleeping in the midst of this storm? It's not unlike what happened with Jonah. You know, they came, Jonah was asleep deep in the the bowels, it says, of the ship. And when the storm came up, the captain of the ship came down and said, Jonah, what are you doing? How can you be sleeping? We're perishing. But you see the, the contrast between Jonah, he's running from the Lord, but he has some kind of weird supernatural sleep too. I think it must exhaust you, exhaust you when you're running from the Lord too. How many of you've ever done that and gotten exhausted running from the Lord? It's like it's like, <laughs> and you finally just give out, you know. And the Lord, Lord says, "All right, I'll let him run till he runs out, and then I'll talk to him when he's ready to listen." I I've, I've been there too, and so. That's what happened with Jonah, and of course they say throw him in the sea and it calms, but, and the pagan sailors even worshiped God, they saw that God's presence was in the storm. They knew God was there, mysterious as it was. But here is Jesus in a similar kind of situation. And it's interesting to me that when you have faith, you're such a different person. And people won't get you if you have real biblical faith. If you can sleep through a storm, most people are, they're not gonna like that. And they will misinterpret you, too. It's like, don't you care? I mean, we're perishing. It's like, what did they expect Jesus to do? Get up and start bailing out water? You know, what was he gonna do? But, I mean, they'd seen him do some fantastic things, so maybe they were hoping, but I bet you they did everything they possibly could before they woke him up. And, and they're, they're making a mistake again because the first time they, they talked in the book of Mark, the first recording of the disciples speaking to Jesus was in Mark 1. And they, around verse 37, they said to him, uh, where have you been? Everybody's looking for you. You know, remember, they, they were accusing him of having wrong priorities. And yet the whole time Jesus was having the right priority. Jesus was getting before his father and finding out exactly what he was supposed to do. Because he wouldn't do anything except what the father said and what the father did. But they misinterpreted his getting away as, look, everybody needs you, everybody's looking for you, where have you been? It's not unlike when he took his time getting to Lazarus' grave, you know, and just, hey, he knew he was gonna raise him from the dead. But when you have this kind of faith, it makes you a different person. And now this is the second time that we read in the Gospel of Mark that they speak to Jesus and you know they chide him for not really caring that we're in the process of perishing. And we'll see him again if you get into chapter five, they criticize him the next time they speak to him because he's in a big huge crowd and Jesus says, who touched me? And they're like, Everybody's touching you. That's a ridiculous question. You know what I mean? So it's like every time they open their mouth, they say something wrong. How <laughs> I many of you are like that too? You know, I was like, uh, maybe it's just like it says in Proverbs, just shut it, and people might think you have some sense. You know? But they're every time they're misinterpreting who Jesus is and what He's doing and why He's doing it, and and yet. You can forgive people if they're frightened, if they're panic-stricken. If if the house is on fire, wake me and shake me. I don't care how you do it. Just wake me up get me out of the house. You don't have to be kind and gentle necessarily. But that's not the issue here. The issue here is that Jesus has clearly told them in his lecture, nothing can stop the kingdom. Nothing. And they should have believed that but they weren't ready to believe that. I'm giving you an unshakable kingdom. The same thing he told us in Hebrews chapter 12. We have an unshakable kingdom. And so he says, let us therefore have grace that we may serve God with reverence, with revere, with godly fear. That's the way we should be serving God. Trusting in the fact that we have an unshakable kingdom, and that He's going to build His church, and it's so exciting to think, you know, that you guys are part even today of taking the gospel seed over to India, because if you let loose that gospel seed over there, it's going to bring forth fruit for itself, and it's going to grow and it's going to develop because the power of God is in it, as just like it's developed here, and we'll continue. What an encouragement! to just sow a little seed. So everywhere you go, try to sow some of that gospel seed because in it is the power of God. So it's amazing to see the faith rest of Jesus this morning. And we're to see him, get your eyes on him. If Jesus is content with the fact that everything's okay, and it's interesting to me that the storm didn't wake him but something did, and we know what woke him was the cry and the touch of humanity. His disciples touch him and cry out, and in their desperation, he wakes up. That happens so many times. It reminds me of what James told us that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man will avail much. And when Jesus hears this, it says in verse 38 or 39, it says, then he rose and he rebuked the wind. You see, I wouldn't have, that's not what I expected to read next. See, what I expected to read was, and then he turned around and he rebuked those idiots (laughs) for waking him and for the fact that they didn't even need to wake him that's what i would have expected to read but jesus is patient and kind and he's so tolerant we don't read that he rebukes them at least directly at all but maybe i don't know you know it's like when peter i can imagine peter when he denied the lord and he he saw the look of pain on the lord's face and yet the look of love On the Lord's face and I've been there too where I've like I've seen I've seen the Lord's frustration a bit with me for my lack of belief and yet at the same time I've seen the Lord lovingly and patiently saying well he'll grow he'll develop and if he has to cry out and wake me up right now okay but I think he really expected them to be able to make it through the storm here and so He does what only God can do. He gets up, he rebukes the wind, and he says to the sea, Peace, be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Literally, it's a perfect passive, which should be translated, Be still and stay still. It's sort of like when somebody says to you, because he uses the same word muzzle, which he used of the the Caesarean demoniac. When he cast out the demons, he said the same thing, be muzzled. Shut up, not another word that's a legitimate way to translate it and we've all been there I know <laughs> I've heard that before <laughs> You know, and I'm so glad you guys do put up the clock like don't when Ross is here don't you put up the last five minutes on the back and then just counts down so he'll know oh see, you should try that on him when he comes back you should just pull a fast one see and just just put it up there and it starts counting down five four three you're like what what's up you know you go away, you come back, and they change everything on you, you know, these rebellious little sheep. And uh, so, yeah, but there, there comes this harmony of silence. He rebukes the wind, and there's a, a, a silent calm, a dead calm. You know, usually when, even after winds are blowing, it still takes a little while for the waves to rise and subside and all, but it looks like this was supernatural. He just rebuked the wind. And it just went, phew, Dead calm. Whoa. Who is this that can do what only God can do? But, well, he turns to them, verse 40, and he says, but he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? I would call this the disbelief of unbelief. Jesus just disbelieves our unbelief. He can't believe it. Jesus can't believe how much we don't believe. He doesn't get it in a way. It's like, I don't get it. After all I've done, after all they've seen, after all they've experienced, how is it that they can still remain in unbelief? It's like when he was going to feed the 5,000, he was like, You give them something to eat. And, and, and I know we all think, Really? You expect me to do that? And the answer to that question is yes, he does. And, and then I'm sitting there, I can't believe that he's asked me to do that. Do you know who I am? Not me, I mean, maybe somebody else you expect to do that, but me, you expect me to have that kind of faith? And the answer to that question is yes. Jesus expects you to have a tremendous faith and confidence in what he's doing, not only in your life, but in those around you as you take the gospel out. He's expecting great things. But if you have a lack of faith, you're unable to respond with confidence in God. And it'll paralyze you, it'll cripple you, and you can't do what you need to do because of that lack of faith. But he wants to build our faith here. So the the real test here is, and the real threat to faith here is doubt. It's not an understanding of it. I mean, I think it's like, And I wrestle with this because it says elders are supposed to like pray for the sick, you know, and we'll have people come up and they'll ask for prayer. And it says you should, you should, you should come, you should ask the elders for prayer and the elders are supposed to do what? Pray the prayer of faith. The person that comes has already exercised their faith by coming. So don't put it back on them. They've exercised their faith. You can't say, well, if you guys had enough faith, it would have it. It's your fault. No. The Bible says, bring them to the elders. Let the elders lay hands on them. Let them pray the prayer of faith, and it'll save the sick. And it's like, I, I am embarrassed. I am ashamed of the lack of faith that I sometimes have. And yet God's still gracious, there's no doubt he will always be. You can't change that, yes. You know, and we like to rely on that. You know, it's easy to step back, say, yeah, but God's gracious. And, uh, you know, that's, sometimes it's just a cop-out. The reality is he wants me to grow in faith. And he wants me to believe more than I've ever believed before. So he has still no faith? You're kidding me. Because all the experiences of life are sent to us for a purpose. And he's trying to grow us in these things. Joseph knew it in Genesis 50 that everything that happened to him was according to the purpose of God. David knew it in 2 Samuel 23 when he says, the covenant I've given you is ordered in all things and sure. And someday it'll be like a morning without clouds. It'll be like clear shining after rain. And David, you need to believe this. That you need to trust me The man born blind knew it in John 9, that his sickness was for the glory of God. All the things that happen in our life are for purpose. Paul knew it. Paul would even go through shipwrecks. But those shipwrecks would not stop the gospel. And I think that's what he's trying to get us to here, is to believe and to know that sometimes, yeah, we wake Jesus, but it could be what God's asking you this morning to do is to sail on. Do you have the faith to sail on through the storm? Do you believe in the sovereignty of God so much and the reality that his hand is on your life that when you face some of these storms, maybe you don't even need to wake Jesus up? You just need to sail on because he's with you in the boat and sure enough you will get, when he says let us cross to the other side, you will cross to the other side. You can trust him that much. So he concludes in verse 41, and they feared exceedingly. You know, they were awestruck. And they said to one another, who can this be? I think they already knew. (laughs) That even the wind and the sea obey him. Well, uh, we don't have time this morning, but read Psalm 107, verses 23 to 32. There's another prophecy about those that went down to the sea in ships, and they saw the Lord, and how he hushed the waters, and he's doing it here again. The presence of the supernatural was actually more frightening to them than the storm itself. And I, I've been there too, when God is present, and it seems like everything's just out of your control, and it's, it's a scary thing. But I live by the faith of the Son of God. Don't you? We're to live by the faith of the Son of God. And when you see him, they've seen him cast out an unclean spirit. I live by the faith of him who can cast out unclean spirits. They've seen him heal Peter's mother-in-law. I live by the faith of him who can heal Peter's mother-in-law. They've seen him cleanse a leper. I live by the faith of him that can cleanse a leper. You see, they see all of these things. They saw a paralyzed man walk. I live by the faith of the Son of God who can cause that and can calm the raging storm. And they haven't even got started yet. They're going to see him raise Jairus' daughter again. They're going to see him, they're going to see a withered hand just gain strength. I mean, we live by the faith of the Son of God. But you need to see him, that's one reason that reading through the Gospels can be very important. Is you see Jesus, and it's a beautiful picture. Let his perfect covenant cross love cast out all fear in your life today. And this morning, enter that secret place of rest. And if you're going through a storm, through some trials, through some problems, maybe he just wants you to kind of handle it. If you trust him, just sail on. Can you do that? Well, let's let's worship him and thank him that he's begun this kind of work in our life. Worship team, Nick and the guys are going to come and uh, lead us in a a final song. Make it a commitment to him that whatever you're going through, you'll rest in him. And you'll have supernatural rest and sleep. Trust in him to work for you, okay? Let's stand before him.